Radio Mano Papachango. That's your stuff, that'll be his stuff over there. That's all you need in life, a little place for your stuff. That's all your house is, a place to keep your stuff. If you didn't have so much stuff, you wouldn't need a house. You could just walk around all the time. A house is just a pile of stuff with a cover on it. You can see that when you're taking off in an airplane. You look down, you see everybody's got a little pile of stuff. All the little piles of stuff. And when you leave your house, you gotta lock it up. Wouldn't want somebody to come by and take some of your stuff. They always take the good stuff. They never bother with that crap you're saving. All they want is the shiny stuff. That's what your house is, a place to keep your stuff while you go out and get more stuff. It's George Carlin from a record called uh, Place for My Stuff. It's, uh, yeah, George Carlin, man. He's ahead of it all, always ahead of the curve. I love how he says, you know, if you didn't have all that stuff, you wouldn't need a house. You could just walk around. And everyone laughs. Yeah, that's where we came from. That's what our ancestors did. Hundreds of thousands of years they didn't have a lot of stuff. And what did they do? They just walked around. It's called hunting and gathering, nomadism. It's the default status of our species, as you've heard a million times if you listen to this podcast with any regularity. That's the note I keep hitting. That's the instrument I play. That's my rant. That's it. We're all hunter-gatherers, but we're in cages. Cages of our own design. Our own shitty design. Anyway, uh, here I am again. First things first. This episode is with The Minimalist, which is why I just played that little piece of brilliance from George Carlin. Josh and Ryan are The Minimalists. They are two dudes who had it all and decided that was way too much shit to deal with. So they sold it. Gave it away, and now they uh, travel around preaching the wisdom of having far less stuff in our lives and far more experience and richness, emotional richness, freedom. Uh, This is a really good conversation, and uh, it just happened two days ago. I wanted to put this out right away because they're on tour, and uh, after you hear this, you might want to go meet them. They're, uh, let's see, they're in L.A. now, but they're going, Spokane, Washington, May 10th, Seattle, the 12th, Portland, the 13th, then they're going to the Midwest. Uh, Go to their webpage, you'll see the whole thing laid out. It's theminimalists.com, and there's a, it's a very well-organized page. There are videos and all sorts of stuff that you can read about their their, uh, message and their journey and um who they are really cool guys i'm so glad to have met them they came up here to topanga and 
we hung out under the trees for a couple hours and uh, talked about stuff. Uh, a couple of uh, show notes. We talk about Walden. Uh, if you haven't read that and you're into this idea of life being uh, something that gets encumbered by all the crap that we accumulate, Walden is one of the first expressions of that. It's by Henry David Thoreau, whom I'm sure you've heard of. He also wrote a famous essay called Civil Disobedience that was inspirational to Gandhi and Martin Luther King and uh, other people who have changed the world. So uh, he's a very interesting guy. It's It was written in the 1840s, so the language is a little awkward and strange, but it's English and it's perfectly comprehensible and it's uh, probably less than 200 pages long. It's, it's a brief read. Um, and uh, if you're interested in this, it's sort of a foundational text. It's the famous story. The guy, you know, goes out in the woods and builds a cabin and you know, this is sort of his essay about what he thinks about and how he did it. He's very practical. He says how much everything costs. And so it's sort of a how-to as well. It's a very interesting book. Um, the other book that, or sort of short story that came to mind was by Herman Melville, who was part of the same group, the so-called transcendentalists, uh, Thoreau, Emerson, Hawthorne, Melville, Walt Whitman, all these sort of second half of the 19th century American thinkers, which um, were the people I was most focused on when I was studying literature in, in university way back in the 80s, way back in the 80s. Anyway, he wrote a book called uh, Bartleby the Scrivener, and uh, or a short story, sorry, Bartleby the Scrivener. It's a very interesting story. I haven't read it in years. I'm going to go back and look it up again. Uh, I just remember that it's this guy who's got a job, sort of a boring, bureaucratic job. And every time his, ass, ass, his boss, not his ass, God, I'm, all right, I'll talk about my fuck-ups in a second here. But every time his boss asks him to do something, he just says, I'd prefer not to. And that's sort of the recurring theme in the story. Someone who just gracefully, politely opts out which is what the minimalists have done and what I've done and what many of you are doing and what many of you are thinking of doing and looking for ways to do, which is why I'm so happy to bring these guys to your attention. Um, okay, now, my fuck-ups. In the last Roma, which is 16, I was answering a guy's email who was talking about herpes. And I was talking about how herpes is no big deal and... You know, lots of people have it and they don't even know they have it. And I was going on about that. And somehow in my mind, I just segued right into HPV, human papillomavirus, which is not the herpes virus. It's another virus entirely, but it does have some things in common with herpes, particularly the fact that most people have it and don't know they have it. And in general, it's no big deal. But there are a couple of strains of HPV that are associated with different types of cancer, throat cancer and uh, cervical cancer being the, the main ones. Uh, and I started commenting on all that somehow in my mind, having forgotten that I was talking about herpes and not HPV. So 
what I did was I gave you a bunch of bad information and I apologize for that. I went back and changed the media file. So if you download it uh, as of two days ago, you'll get something that's updated. And you know, I talk about how I fucked up and I, I cut out the part where I did. Um, but, you know, it went out to tens of thousands of people before I had a chance to adjust it. I was out in the desert as soon as I recorded that, I put it up, I got in the van and I drove out to the desert and then I got an email from someone saying, hey man, I think you confused HPV and, and uh, uh, HSV, herpes simplex virus, and I didn't even take my computer with me. So I was five days in the desert, there was no way I could adjust anything or take it down or anything. I thought, hey, great, I don't need my computer for a few days. Wrong. Uh, and there may be a way to do that through my phone, but I have no fucking clue how. So anyway, that was up there for five days. I apologize for that. Uh, I guess it's just, um, you know, proof that I'm right when I say, <laughs> I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about sometimes. So in that case, you know, obviously I do know the difference between those two viruses. I do understand the different medical implications of, of having one versus the other and so on. But somehow in my mind, I just, you know, they just all mixed together and I just was yakking and I don't have an editor and there's no one here to tell me when I'm full of shit. So I apologize for that. And I thank those of you who sent me emails to tell me that I am and was full of shit. That's a very uh, important function that you're fulfilling there. And the other thing I wanted to mention is that, you know, um, this podcast has been supported by the good people at uh, Shore Design T-Shirts since the day I put up the first episode. Bennett, who some of you know because he was uh, in an episode, check the archives if you don't. Uh, Bennett was a big fan of Duncan Trussell's. He heard me on Duncan's podcast. And then when uh, Duncan announced that I had a podcast, Bennett sent me an email and said, hey, dude, Love to send you some t-shirts. Do you have any designs? We want to help you out. And I had a design for a Sex at Dawn t-shirt that came to me through a listener. And, you know, there's a whole story with that. All, all the designs basically have come from you. And uh, so I sent him the design. He printed up t-shirts and away we went. And, uh, you know, Bennett and I over well, two, three years, whatever, he sent me t-shirts and he rarely charged me. And when he did charge me, it was, you know, essentially shipping and, a, you know, whatever. If it was like he really, it was so many shirts that he had to send something to his suppliers, whatever. But basically the point is that he charged me as little as he could get away with as a way to support the podcast. Um, almost basically all the profits uh, from the shirts go to my mom who handles the whole thing out of her garage, keeps her busy, keeps her happy, gets some extra money going uh, for her and my dad. And that's the way we've been running it these years. And then suddenly Bennett died. And uh, what, a week or 10 days after I recorded the episode with him. Um, so then, the, then it was like, okay, well, we still had a bunch of shirts from the previous order. And then when it came time to reorder, uh, I thought, well, okay, we're going to start paying full price now, which is fair enough, right? It was, you know, Bennett's decision to to do that. But 
the people at Shore Design said, you know what, uh, we're, we're just going to keep the same deal in place. Um, but they did ask that I mention the discount code <laughs> because I'm such a fuck up that I kept forgetting to mention it. And then, you know, I would apologize to Bennett and then Bennett was like, ah, who gives a shit, man? Don't worry about it. Cause that's just the kind of guy Bennett was and he didn't give a shit. So, but the discount code's important because when you go to shoredesign.com and you order some of their stuff and you don't use the discount code, which is Chris, by the way, A, you don't get your 10% discount on the entire order, which is cool to get a discount. Uh, and B, the folks at Sure Design don't know that you came from me. So the bottom line is, please go to shoredesigntshirts.com buy a whole bunch of cool shit there because all the shirts are made from the same material as the shirts that Julie, my mom, is selling out of our garage. The Those of you who have Civilized to Death shirts or Sex at Dawn shirts or Tangentially Speaking shirts uh, or Paleo Modern shirts or what's the other one? Are there even Talking Out My Ass shirts, which nobody seems to be buying? They're all at discounts, great discounts, The several of the designs because we're eliminating the sort of less popular models anyway they're made of the same stuff same fantastic stretchy soft strong thin wonderful cotton uh but use the discount code chris so the wonderful people at sure design t-shirts know that they are uh, getting some value for their sponsorship of this podcast okay enough of that this is the minimalist i really hope you enjoy this i love these guys uh you can hear that we had a good time hanging out together and I'm definitely going to take the van up to Missoula, Montana, where they're based at some point this summer. And uh, maybe we'll do a follow up with them up there. In any case, we're going to hang out faux show. Uh, and this song that I'm about to play, I think, is the perfect complement to their message. It's called I Used to Get High for a Living. And it's by the John Butler Trio. Listen to the words. They are full of significance and humor at that. Catch you next week. Where 
away from this place, man, that we're feeling. Can't feel, can't feel what we're all trying to consume. All this time we're stealing. No doubt, go around your own can't find the glass that you've been needing. Tune in, my friend, you must contend with the monster that you're feeding. I used to get high for a living, believing everything that I saw on my TV. I used to get high for a living, eating all the bullshit food that they sold me. I used to get high for a living, thinking that my destiny was out of my control. I used to get high for a living, there's lots of different reasons that I tell you so. to the concept of um, comfort, mm. you know, which is something you guys are related to. By the way, I'm, I'm rolling. Yeah, All right, cool. I'm rolling, yeah. Awesome. Uh, the, in the sense that comfort is something you're not aware of when you're experiencing it because it's the lack of discomfort. Right. 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 You know, rarely do we say, wow, I'm really comfortable right now. Right. Unless there's like this, this sort of mild sense of of pleasure, right? I mean, and even then you don't associate it with comfort, right? I'm, uh, you get these, these little sort of ephemeral, always fleeting bits of, of, of comfort, you know, stimuli or yeah. whatever. Yeah. Um, I've got a three-year-old and I noticed that, that, you know, she can, as soon as you turn a glowing screen on in front of her, the, uh, the, the, the just the eyeballs are immediately aggregated toward toward that screen, and I notice that same thing in me. I, I just have you know, developed 
32 extra years of control. Um, or at least I like to pretend I have. Over what? Over acting on impulse. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, have you heard of a book called uh, Anti-Fragile? No. Mm -mm. It's, it's Nassim Talib who wrote The Black Swan. Uh-huh. Yeah. He's uh, an economist and a mathematician, I think. Anyway, the concept's really interesting, and I'll, I'll be very brief because people have heard me talk about this before. But um, he says, you know, if you imagine something that's fragile, you might imagine a, a champagne glass in a wooden box. If you shake the box, the glass shatters. That's fragility, right? Right. And then I say, now imagine something that's anti-fragile. You might imagine a brick in the box. You shake the box, nothing happens. Yeah. But he says, that's not actually anti-fragile. That's neutral. Anti-fragile would be something where you you shake the box and it gets stronger. Oh, yeah. Right? That's the opposite of shattering. It gets right. stronger, not inert, not no effect, right? Right, yeah. And so I was reading that book when I was staying at a friend's place and she had just bought this new, very expensive mattress. And she said, you know, check out the mattress in the guest house, see how you feel, you know. And then the next morning I went down for breakfast. She said, what did you think of that mattress? I said, I didn't think about it at all, actually. I just fell asleep. I guess it's good, you know. Right. <laughs> and she's like, yeah, it's comfortable, isn't it? And I was thinking, yeah, but it's kind of like in the comfort spectrum, that's the brick in the box. Uh, yes. I felt yeah. nothing. Yeah. You know, the shattered glass, the fragility would be, you know, sleeping in the rain, cold and, you know, whatever. But then so uh, so then what's what's the what gets stronger what's better and then i thought like what are the most comfortable moments in my life they're sleeping in a tent when it's raining it's cold and wet and raw and i'm warm in my little sleeping bag and contrast yeah it's it's being comfortable in the proximity of discomfort i think mm. ah. Right. So yeah. it's a it's a hot shower when you've just come in from like being cold in the snow or or it's, you know, at the end of a hard day, it's that beer at the end of like a dusty hike through the desert. Yeah, it's not just any beer. The right. second beer doesn't taste nearly as good as the first one. Uh -huh. So there's something about the proximity of difficulty or discomfort or whatever that that illuminates. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah. If, you, if you look at. I mean, you can go back to as far as, as the Stoics, right? And they sort of believed in, in putting yourself... I mean, they didn't go as far as maybe the ascetics, where it's like putting yourself in perpetual pain so that you can somehow deal with pain. Yeah. Which seems a bit quixotic to me. I mean, when you really think about, like, just constant suffering to yeah. alleviate suffering. Yeah. But being able to... I have a friend who... who um, once a month will sleep on his floor just to remind himself that he has a mattress kind of thing, right? right. And to me that seems like a, a sort of a stoic way of, of living. And, and while I'm certainly not, I don't consider myself a stoic, I, I do appreciate the, the little stoical experiment from time to time. Temporary dep deprivation right. in a way so that you can appreciate that, that thing. I remember well, it's funny, like it's in the stoic tradition, but it's also funny because it's, it's sort of a... What's what's the word? What's the opposite? I'm looking for not bohemian, but uh, sensualist. Okay. Uh, impulse in the sense that what he's doing is he's trying to enjoy more. You know what I mean? Yes. Like you yeah. you you get hungry, so you enjoy the food more. Is that right. stoicism or is that gluttony in a sense? You know. Uh, you know yeah, what I mean? Like yeah. I just want to love it more. I right. want to feel it more. Yeah. Right. It's, it's, 
Honestly, I could totally relate with that. I, I haven't like drank in a week and a half. Uh-huh. And I was like, oh, I'm going to go at least like a week, like just to, you know, cleanse myself a little bit. And now right. I'm in a week and a half and I'm like, I think I'm going to go a month because I know how good, <laughs> <laughs> I know how good that first beer is going to be like when I go back to it. Yeah. Yeah. I hear that. I hear that. It's kind of, I, I, I never really understand if the Christian sort of deprivation and all that uh-huh. is ultimately... You know, as you were describing with the aesthetic, aesthetics is like the, the sort of deprivation and suffering and search of some higher meaning. Or if it's just that, you know, it feels better to jerk off when, you know, God's watching you <laughs> and, and you might burn in hell forever. It's like that's the most expensive orgasm. <laughs> those guys got to really be loving that. Or can for, it, for an instant. Can yeah. it be both, though? I mean, in a weird way, because like as soon as, I mean, using that same analogy, like... It, if that's really how, I mean, if you believed in, you know, some of the, uh, I don't know, doctrine or whatever, and in the moment it did feel like this ultimate pleasure, then I can also imagine the come down from that has to be come terrible. Down? Did you really say come down? <laughs> I know. I'm like, really, man? <laughs> I'm like, is he, is he making a joke? Uh, I, 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 mean, I can only imagine where it's like the, the if you really... I mean, Ryan grew up really religious, and yeah. and and I think just you're you're indoctrinated with, with shame or guilt or 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 whatever. And man, it's I'm just thinking like masturbating as a Christian or non-Christian, after after every single time, no matter what, I'm always like, what have I done? <laughs> I mean, to an extent. Yeah. Is I mean. <laughs> Oh man, maybe you're doing it wrong. Maybe, man. <laughs> no, I mean, no it's one not, ever showed you. It's not what have I. It's not what have I done in like the the neg- Like I feel bad about it. It's just more like you know, like God, that was like a lot of work for like just a little, <laughs> a little bit of pleasure. <laughs> How much work is it? I think we got to turn off these mics. Man, I'm little, like digging a hole in a little workshop here. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I sometimes wish it were more work. Oh, shit. Yeah, you get pretty efficient after a while. Uh, all right. So anyway, I'm here with the minimalists. <laughs> Which, and this is not what you expected to be talking about. Man, I listen to your podcast all the time. Oh, do you? What I expect. Yeah, you knew. Yeah. That's yeah. great. And, that's and, why, and you came anyway. That's, I, that's why I reached out to you, man, because like we've done so many, like, like here's your four-minute TV segment or whatever, and and you are, you're a conversationalist, man, and, and that feels so good. But at the same time, in a weird way, definitely gets us out of our, our comfort zone in a good yeah, way because yeah. because yeah i've got some really good 90 second soundbite answers you've got your stick a, down yeah, yeah. Right. yeah but, but who i mean and and of course i can insert a few of those if need be if, if applicable here but this is nice because i don't feel like i have to game right. the system here right. like, yeah I, i'm i'm not searching for any clicks here i just thought it'd be really cool to have a conversation yeah with good you. good yeah i did an interview one time in spain uh with the vanguardia they do this thing on their back page of this newspaper every day there's someone there and there's a picture and a little interview and i was really looking forward to it because i lived in barcelona a long time and it's like to be on that page of the back of the paper is a big deal and I went in, and I don't know what the deal was with the woman, but she was, it was like she was forced to do it. And, and she didn't want to meet me. She didn't want to talk about it. She didn't want, I, I don't know if she's just not cool about sex or she was going through a divorce. I don't know what her deal was, but she sat, we sat down at this table. She put a recorder on the table and she said, 
all right, talk about your, sh your shit. <laughs> and I was like, what? What about? She says, I don't care. And then she just sat back and started looking at her phone. Oh, wow. <laughs> oh, my God. I was like, how long? She said, I don't know, five minutes. I'm like, okay. So I just talked for five minutes <laughs> as if she were listening to me, as if she were asking me questions. She wasn't. But oh, wow. I'd, she I'd done it enough by that point. Right. It's like, all right, I'll give you five minutes. Here's your five minutes. Here's your yeah. five minutes of content. Yeah. <laughs> and then she just went in and in the thing. Transcribed it? Well, she had someone transcribe it and they picked out the best parts or whatever. And then she inserted like as if she had asked me questions. Oh, wow. <laughs> wow. Hey, Worst interview ever. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think we've ever had anything that bad. No. So no. could you guys just talk for an hour? I got to go down. To right. <laughs> I got to go deal with some things. Yeah. So you guys, are you on another tour now at this point? Or what are you doing? We you just are. landed in L.A. Yeah. Yeah. How, like literally how just many landed. minimalist tours uh, can you do till it becomes maximalist? Yeah. Well, well, first off, man, when you call yourselves the minimalists, like, yeah. everything becomes steeped in irony, man. I mean, well, that's it. Everyone's we don't, looking for the hypocrisy. Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah. You know, yeah. We don't tour a minimal amount. We don't sell minimal amount of books we don't have a very minimal amount of uh you know people who show up to our events i mean we were at washington state university and uh almost a thousand college kids showed up and um uh, to hear us talk we had to turn away a bunch of them because the theater only held 500 but but yeah in line someone was like man for minimalists a lot of people sure showed up and you know you just kind of yeah you've got a lot of hair for a minimalist right exactly yeah. a lot of hair. well that's actually <laughs> one of the rules of minimalism is you have to have really awesome hair <laughs> yeah <laughs> Yeah, man, we, we're in the middle of doing, like, a, another tour right now, but um, we've learned so much. We, we started the website, like, like six years ago, right? and it was sort of just this, like, side project. We're both in the corporate world still, but we had radically simplified our lives, and um, Ryan did this crazy thing called a, a packing party, and the 30-second soundbite on that is basically... He packed up all his stuff as if he were moving and pretended over the next 21 days to unpack only the items he needed. So he pretended he was moving, even though he wasn't. And like after three weeks, 80% of his stuff is still in boxes and you forget mm. what's even in the damn box. Well, for me, like whenever I'm making a, a life change, like I have to, I have to change my state as much as possible or as, as drastically as possible without, you know, causing harm to anything. And I thought, yeah, the packing party, like that's something that we could do. And uh, Josh came over and we spent like nine hours packing up my stuff. And uh, yeah, after three weeks, it totally did change my state. I mean, I had a whole new um, just appreciation for, or not appreciation, but I guess perspective on uh, on what my narrative was. Right. You know, I had this whole narrative of I'm going to work really hard. I'm going to climb the corporate ladder. I'm going to be the hardest working person that I can. I mean, Josh was uh, probably like the, uh, the the harder working than me, but maybe the only person who worked harder than I did. And uh, eventually I'll save up enough money to where if I, if I can plan it right, maybe by 50, I'll retire. Mm. And when I was kind of faced with all of this, all of these things and boxes after these three weeks of unpacking, I was like, wow, here are tens of thousands of dollars of stuff that I haven't touched in the last three weeks, if I would have just made better decisions with my finances, I'd probably be even closer to retiring at age 50. And, uh, and it's funny because that narrative, you know, it included, well, at age 50, I'll, I'll start to travel more. Yeah. I'll start to spend time with the people who I want to spend time <laughs> with. And when I was uh, just kind of sitting there with that. Because big, that costs so much money. Right, right. right. Really hard. God, and then I'm, yeah. I'm sitting with a big heap of stuff and I'm like, wait a minute. If I didn't work 60, 70, 80 hours a week to afford all this stuff, 
I could probably go spend more time with my family and friends. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I went to Josh and I was like, dude, this is, I was like, this is a pretty cool story. Like it, it wasn't, um, it was revolutionary for me. Uh, and I thought that there has to be other people out there. I mean, you know, there's got to be other people out there who were just as miserable as Josh and I, I were. And I'm like, the miserablest. Yeah, the miserablest. <laughs> it was taken. We tried to get that. We tried to get that domain, but it was taken. You probably wouldn't get as many college kids coming right, to your talks. That's like, true. Come hear the fucking miserablest. Yeah. No, whining so, about their lives. It could be a good comedy yeah. show, at least. Yeah. So, you yeah. know, we, we went and did what any two 30-year-old dudes would do. We, we started a blog. Yeah. And, and uh, yeah, we, we shared our Oh, our, I thought you were going to say Coke, something about Coke. <laughs> no, that was, no. That was pre yeah. uh, the Because you can pack up the Coke into a really small container. That's <laughs> right. the good thing. You know, you can do only so much Coke before you're like, you yeah. know what? Coke is not the way to go. <laughs> <laughs> it's not the real thing. It's really not the real It's fun for a little I mean, you, you know, for a little bit. But, yeah, after yeah. a while. It's, and that goes with any drugs. And that's kind of where I was at, too, man. I was, um, you know, I was working hard and I was partying even harder. Mm. And any alcoholic or drug addict who has got to that, that precipice, I mean, they will all say the same thing. Like, I just had to start. I had to drink just to feel normal. I had to do drugs just to feel normal. So would you, do you feel that your drug use was an indication of the, the sort of discontent in your life? Or is there something deeper going on there? I, no, I don't think it was uh, anything deeper other than I was pacifying myself. Right. You know, I mean, you know, it was much easier to... Um, you know, come home from work, uh, getting up, you know, and getting to work by seven or eight o'clock in the morning, um, and then coming home at nine or ten o'clock at night, and then I could just, you know, you know, pop a couple Percocet or something, right. and like just get, get calm really, really quickly. Right. Same thing with alcohol. You mix that with alcohol, man. Yeah. Now you're talking really calm. Right. You don't really have time for gradual transitions. Right. Yeah. You got to move from one state to the other quickly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 You know, I, I, your message resonates with me a lot. And uh, you said you listen to the podcast, so you'd know some of my story. But, oh, yeah. like, I've been a minimalist, you know, or at least my own version of it forever. Yeah, you know, for sure. You, you mentioned your buddy sleeping on the floor. When I was, like, eight or nine years old, I decided I would sleep on the floor with no pillow because if my plane ever went down, I wanted to be comfortable sleeping on the ground you know like so I was like prepared for (laughs) and I read yeah I read all these books about like survivor guys who you know they they got lost in the wilderness and they knew how to survive they had a knife and they could make a trap and catch a rabbit and you know that like I was into that sort of like you can survive with the minimal amount of stuff and I built lean-tos in my backyard and like I was really into the whole Indian live off the land you know I had all these books Wildwood Wisdom was one I remember that had all these instructions on what you can eat and how to catch this and how to cook it and how to do all that stuff. So I was really into that. And then when I got into, you know, after college, when I started traveling a lot, it was like everything's in my backpack, everything. And like I really got off on having... Every, having my, you know, like in India, I remember I would whip stuff out. Like I had the Thermarest air mattress, uh-huh. you know. So when I was riding in the luggage rack of a bus in India, I would like pull out my Thermarest and like it's self-inflating, and I'd be like, oh, total comfort, <laughs> you know, luxury. Yeah, you know, and the, like, I had these little binoculars and a little shortwave radio and all this like cool little shit. It was like James Bond, you know. But I, I've always been very uh, attracted to very high quality of life at very low expense. Right. To mm-hmm. me, that's the, 
That's the key to a good life. That's the balance. That's the uh, you know comfort within the so within close proximity of discomfort. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. That's Man. to me. That's the golden key right there. Yeah. 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 I, I was that in, and jerking off efficiently. <laughs> that jerking off in the woods. <laughs> I, I saw a book title: "Jerking Off Efficiently." Exactly. <laughs> How to jerk off in five minutes. <laughs> Uh, sorry, you were going to say something saying, like, it was, profound it was, there. It was, no, I, I doubt that. But uh, it was it was the opposite for me because I grew up really poor in, in Dayton, Ohio, and and it was just raised by an alcoholic single mother. And I thought the reason we were so unhappy when we were growing up is because we didn't have any money. Mm. And so my idea of sort of like thumbing my nose at 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 the uh, uh, the parents or whatever was. Uh, rebelling was going out and getting the corporate job and, and spending the next decade climbing the corporate ladder. Right. And, and and so it was sort of like by by the time I was hitting my late 20s, 28, I had you know, ostensibly achieved everything I ever wanted, right? The, the, the six-figure salary and the luxury cars and, and, and all the stuff, right? the big suburban house with, that you don't use most of. There's, Where were you living? Uh, in Dayton, Ohio. Oh, you were yeah. in Dayton yeah. as an adult too. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. you made it in Dayton, which is even harder in some ways than making it in New York or LA or something. In, in a weird way, I think so because I mean, yeah, Cincinnati, Dayton, that whole area there. I mean, it's, it's it used to be affectionately called Little Detroit, and that, that still holds true now. It's yeah. the same sort of blight as, as yeah. Yeah, I mean, you go downtown Dayton, and 65% of the skyscrapers are empty. And, it's uh, crazy. Yeah, it's, it's it desolate. Crazy, yeah. yeah. And so, yeah, I was making really good money, but I was spending even better money because you don't learn that. And what I learned by, by the time I reached that is it wasn't just the lack of money when we were growing up that made us unhappy. It was the repeated poor decisions, and I just like having more money throughout my twenties. Nothing inherently wrong with money, but having that money allowed me to make even worse decisions and, and go deep into debt. I had six figures worth of debt, half a million dollars if you count my, my house, and uh, man, it was just crippling. And yeah. and you, you get to that point where where I mean, for me, you, you saw in the documentary I talked about my, my my mom died and my marriage ended, and and both of those things happened in the same month. And you start to look around and start to question, like, what the fuck am I, what am I doing, man? Like, what are my priorities? Yeah. And I didn't, I didn't really know what, what was important. You know, I think, uh, like, there's, there are these underlying assumptions. You know, I, I always tell people, like, when they ask me for advice, the only advice I'm comfortable giving is question the premise. Uh, you know, including the premise that I'm worth, you know, listening to my advice, right? You yeah, know? yeah. But yeah question, except, except uh, I'll, I'll just push back a little bit. You give great advice in your pod. When you have people write in and, and you, I mean, you could tell sometimes, and you've talked about this before, but like sometimes people just want permission. Like they know what the answer is. And, that's why they're writing to me. Yeah, <laughs> right, right. We'll, we'll, Should I travel or stay here and work? Like, <laughs> let's ask Chris. Yeah, yeah, I wonder what he'll say. Yeah, right, yeah. and they'll skew the question yeah. to get the answer they want to get. Yeah, quite yeah, often, right? yeah. And on our podcast, we do this. We, we just take questions from callers, basically. That's, yeah. that's all that we do. And sometimes Ryan will just be like, you have permission. And like that's the only answer to give, right? right. right. And, and so I, I feel like, um, yes, I, uh, while I'm, I'm deeply unqualified to answer many questions, I think sometimes, like, sometimes those, are, those are the best people to answer yeah. those questions. Yeah. Right? yeah, yeah, I think so. But anyway, I, I, what I was saying about questioning the premise is I think one of the, the deep premises of American society 
it sounds counterintuitive, but I think it's true, is that we're going to live forever. Mm. And mm. so the whole thing is set up in a way, like you were saying, when I'm 50, I'll start to travel. Well, that's assuming you live to be 50. Right. Now, when right? you say live forever, do you like propagated by like the religious belief we're going to live forever, or just like that we just have in our mind, like well, we're, I, I think our mortality I, is something about we don't think debt. about debt. Think about debt. Yeah. As a 65-year-old guy, I could go borrow a shit ton of money mm. yeah. and then die. Yeah. You know? You get a 30-year mortgage. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so what is the premise underlying that? Is like, what, I'm going to pay from the grave? Fuck you. I'm not paying from the grave. It's like once you accept the idea that you're going to die and you could actually choose when to die, mm. you could choreograph your life in interesting ways. Mm. You know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I don't want to say anything self-incriminating, but uh, I, should, I should probably leave it at that. No. But I'll be coming to the bank in about 10 years. Uh, no, debt is a funny thing in this country. Like, I mean, die in debt yeah. is kind of a victory, I would yeah. say. Not be in debt your whole life, that's a loss. Right. But, like, live your life, have a great time, you know, retire at 20. Yes. And then at 65, borrow a shit ton of money, pay back the people you actually should pay back, and then die. I think that's a, uh, yeah. 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 Let's, let's build that into the minimalist doctrine. Yeah. So have you guys, like, were you aware of a sort of, uh, you know, the Henry David Thoreau, for example, yeah. were, had you read him in college? Are you aware of this whole simplify, simplify well, tradition in American culture? Yeah. I mean, I think this, um, this idea of living simply, it's been around for thousands of years, right? Yeah, sure. It's and, inherited in Buddhism and pretty much yeah. all religious traditions. So I, I used to be raised uh, Jehovah's Witness, and I, I talk about it every once in a while. And I had a, um, a gal from the UK email me. She's like, you know, I'm a Jehovah's Witness, and I listen to your podcast, and, you know, I just wanted to see what you thought about Jehovah's Witnesses now. And I'm like, you know, it doesn't matter what religion that you 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 subscribe to or what god you worship um pretty much they all say the same thing it's it's a live a simple life right and and yeah i mean thoreau is definitely an inspiration um the stoics are an inspiration uh you know i love buddhism i think buddhism is a because it's kind of like i feel like buddhism is like um compared to the other major religions now i feel like it's like it's a light version. Yeah. It's not filled with all the guilt and shame and all that. Exactly. Yeah. And like, you want to call yourself a Buddhist? Fine. You're a Buddhist. Right. There's no secret handshake. Yeah. You don't have to pay anyone. Yeah. And you want to not be a Buddhist anymore? Great. Don't be a Buddhist. Yeah. And other Buddhists aren't going to like not talk to you. Like it's totally cool. <laughs> or hunt you down and kill you. Right. Exactly. You infidel. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 I agree. I, I'm not into organized religion, but Buddhism and even Buddhists, a lot of Buddhists will say it's not a religion. Right. It's a philosophy or a way of living or whatever. It's, yeah. yeah you yeah. know, it's interesting. Like when we do events, so we were in Jackson, Mississippi a couple of years ago, and this nice, young, attractive couple came up to us afterward and southern accent. It's so nice to see a couple guys out here spreading Jesus' message. And I just sort of nod and say thanks, you know, like I'm not going to get into any sort of confrontation about, well, actually, um, I just you know, say thanks. And then a month or two later, we were in Seattle, and someone kind of said, it's great to see a couple of Buddhists out here spreading a, a, a secular version of Buddhism. And I say thank you, and we'll get emails from people who say, you know, Muhammad was the original minimalist. And... You know, yeah. Same thing. And well, it's they're like, all right. Yeah. yeah. In, in a way, yeah. I, I think so. And and I, th- I think it's it's different pol- beliefs. The, the, the beliefs are sort of the path to get you toward the values. You we have right. similar values as other people, right. and, and we just have different ways to get there sometimes. Yeah. 
Yeah, it. You know all the, you know all the shit you had piled up in your living room in boxes. It's nowhere near as interesting as what's surrounding us right now. No. Right. Trees no. and light and the waves and you know the natural world is where the real richness lies. Absolutely. And we isolate ourselves from it with all our crap. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, and all these traditions I think are acknowledging that. You know, there are two currencies in life, right? There's money and time. Yeah. And you can always replenish money yep. uh, if you really have to. But time, you spend it, it's gone forever. Yeah. So, you know, what are we supposed to focus on here? Focus on the time, you yeah. know, focus on the moments. Yeah, no, I would argue that time and attention are like the most, the two most valuable resources we have. And if you were to ask, yeah. you know, the average, you know, 10 people like, hey, what's the most important resource? I mean, you're going to get money as a lot of those answers. Right. Right. And, and yeah, you're right. They can absolutely be replenished. And I think... You know, going down this road of steeping ourselves in, in consumerism and stuff and, you know, being uh, essentially secluded. I mean, like when I worked for my dad, uh, he has he has a small painting and wallpaper business. I worked for uh, him like a lot of summers of high school and stuff and a little bit after high school. And like people had indoor bowling alleys and indoor pools and like they take these communal things and they privatize it for themselves. Ah, that's a good point. And it's it's amazing to me how uh, how much we are drawing away from the community. We so we built a school in um, over in Laos. Uh, we partnered with a friend who's got he's got a nonprofit um, with AJ. You know AJ? Sure, I yeah, know he AJ. connected us. Love AJ. Yeah. So yeah. it was it was AJ and uh, um, and he actually gave this gentleman uh, named Tyson Adams a scholarship to go start this nonprofit coffee business. So fast forward a few years later, uh, AJ. Uh, Misfit, uh, the minimalists, and then Jai Coffee House, which was Tyson's business. We all got together and we um, essentially just, you know, uh, pitched in to build this school. And I went there to open it up, and uh, I got a chance to like, you know, I mean, you know, they bring you up and they um, in front of the community and they want to say thank you. And it, of course, everything's translated. But like, um, I was up there and I had an opportunity to address the crowd. Um, but even before I addressed them, they were just talking about like, oh, you know, we're so glad for Tyson. And he brought his American friend over who who uh, helped us out with their with his American money. And we, we appreciate the Americans so much. And I know what they're doing. Like, they're just trying to, like, really say thank you. I mean, that, that and that's how they think yeah. that we want to be told thank you, which, which it was great. I felt really, really good. And then it got time for me to kind of address the community and, and give my little spiel. And I'm, like, trying to tell, you know, jokes, and they're translating, and, like, none of them are landing. Like, <laughs> worst oh, decision ever. High but, degree of difficulty. Right, right. Yeah. But it got to a point, though, where um, I just, you know, ex- expressed to the community, I'm like, you know, the money's the easy part, really. Like, this is, you know, I think the school was, what is it, like 28000 bucks, And it was, mm. like, four rooms and... It replaced, I mean, they literally had a two-room shack. Uh, when it rained, they had to cancel school because the floor was dirt and it muddy. It was a two-room school, and, like, the, there was a wall that was dividing the two classrooms this tall. So the teachers were, like, constantly talking over each other. Right. I mean, it was just, you know, it was not a very good building. And we were able to, for less than $30,000, create this amazing, like, concrete building with, like, bathrooms. I mean, they were mm. so excited about the bath. They were like, oh, let's show you the bathrooms. And I, you know, I was explaining to them, like, you know, the money... That's the easy part, like pulling together as a community that 
is what's really impressive about this whole project. It's not me bringing you know over yeah. American money. And I was like, this is what America is really missing. And that is the one thing that landed with them that they, right. every single one of them like, oh yeah, you guys have no community over there in, in, in the States. But I think yeah. it's going back to this this uh, this idea of ownership and, and, and kind of secluding ourselves. And instead of going out and going bowling with some friends at a at a uh, you know local place, right. it's like oh well you know uh, maybe one day I can have my own private bowling alley and I won't have to be part of the community. Right. And that's to me just uh, it's it's backwards. Yeah, yeah, we're shooting ourselves in the foot left and right. Yeah. You know, it's it's too bad you guys weren't coming in a few days ago because I just got back from this event in the desert that would have been such a great fit for you. What was it? Uh, it's called the Bombay Beach Biennale. Okay. Uh, it's a friend of mine, Tal Ruspoli, and his two partners, uh, Stefan Ashkenazi and Lily, I think her name is Johnson. The three of them, uh, there's this little town out there on the Salton Sea. Have you heard of the Salton oh, yeah. Sea? Yeah. You've been out there? No, I've never been out there. So in the 50s, it was supposed to be like oh. a big development, and it was all the, the Beach Boys went out there in Frank Sinatra. Beyond Palm Springs, right? It's south of Palm Springs. Yeah, yeah. So like it there's was this inland suburb sea. of Palm Springs. Like it was, it was man-made, right? Like well, yeah. Well, first it was a geologic. Uh, the the Sea of Cortez, you know, reached in, and then mountains came up and separated it. So it was salt water, okay. right? And then it evaporated over thousands or millions of years, and, and it got super salty. I think it's saltier, or almost as salty as the Dead Sea at this point, mm-hmm. and. But then it, it was diminished to almost nothing, and then there was a man-made, a man-made error, where some guy like fucked up with a bulldozer and broke the wall of a canal that was bringing water from the Colorado River to uh, San Diego or something, and they couldn't stop it for like 15 years, <laughs> <laughs> and so it filled up again. <laughs> Oops! Yeah. <laughs> so it was my first day. <laughs> exactly. Well, fired, I have heard of this place. Yeah, and like they. Uh, Plan for it to be like this major like vacation spot and build up a bunch of condos. Yeah, and, and then the the thing started, and then it's now it's all abandoned, so it's ruins. And there are a couple hundred people who live there uh, year round, yeah. very poor, you know, uh, off, like this, the, off the grid. The sea turned or something, right? Like all of a sudden the water like became stagnant and like. Well, yeah, it wasn't getting any input, yeah. and it so it was uh, reducing. And then you had these algae blooms and all sorts of weird shit happen. Yeah. But anyway, so it's this like post-apocalyptic landscape. Yeah, I've right? seen. I've seen. Uh, there was a photography book I saw, of sort of the post-apocalyptic buildings, and it was like abandoned yeah. houses. There's a bunch of graffiti artists that go out there. And yeah, stuff. Yeah. yeah. And a lot. Of, there are a lot of like um, you know video music videos are shot out there in fashion shoots because it's very photogenic in a right. bizarre sort of way, right? Yeah. And it's desert, and the lights really interesting and all. That. Anyway, so these guys. They like it just because it's bizarre and crazy and interesting. But they had this idea of like, okay, everyone comes out here. These creative people come out here. They do their art and then they leave. Why don't we set something up where we'll do art and leave the art here and Mm. enrich the community, right? And so they set up. This was the second year. And it's incredible. They go out there. They're you know, probably 50, 60 people who spend a month out there working, restoring buildings, building these big sculptures, doing all this installation. And then they have a three, I think it was the three-day festival this weekend. Wow. No advertising. It's just you hear about it or you don't. Yeah. And there's no social media, nothing like that. They had um, people giving talks. They had an opera singer. They had some of the best ballet dancers in the country. Awesome. They, um, I met three or four film directors, like the guy who directed uh, 
Hell or High Water was out there. Oh, I love that film. Like some serious people yeah. are out wow. there. And, uh, and there's no money. Uh-huh. Nobody charges for anything. Uh-huh. It's all just self-financed and volunteers and getting together. And you reminded me of it when you're talking about community yeah. and making something out of nothing and helping the local people instead of just taking and taking. Yeah. Such a cool thing. It'd be a great it. place for you guys to get, come and give a talk. Yeah. Sounds totally Because it fits rally. totally, you know, yeah. your your whole vibe. So maybe next year I'll, that is yeah. so cool. they I'll did put that. you in touch with I people. I think I saw like a little short documentary years ago on that on that place and yeah uh i that's awesome that within the last couple of years they've been trying to revive it because every like i've seen the documentary a couple of times um i think it's like a 15 or 20 minute and i'm sure like there's been a couple floating around about about the is it the salton sea is that what the salton sea yeah. and then you probably heard of, of uh, slab city Mm-mm. um there was a scene in uh into the wild you know mm-hmm. that movie about the guy who goes yes. to alaska yeah. where he's hitchhiking and he goes to slab city and it's all these hippies living out in the desert yeah Okay. It's sort yeah. of a, also a Mad Max kind of scene. That's right next to it. Okay. Yeah, there's some interesting shit out there. Anyway, yeah. so that that's a, a big-ass tangent. Where was I going to go? Or, <laughs> um, does minimalism for you guys extend into non-material parts of your life? I mean, are, are you, are, do you have complicated love lives? <laughs> I and mean, we already know your masturbatory techniques are, are <laughs> lacking in <laughs> overly sophisticated crap. But I mean, do you, does that same approach, do you try to like, do you eat like super simple? Like, oh, don't make a sauce, just give me dry pasta. <laughs> I think really, man, I mean, minimalism for us, it certainly isn't just the stuff. I mean, that's, I mean, anyone can go home and right. run a dumpster and throw everything out and be miserable. Right. I mean, for me, it's about intentionality. I, like, going back to that packing party where I was thinking, like, wow, here, you know, here's all this stuff that's preventing me from doing the things that I want to do. And then I started to think, like, well, what other things do I want to do? I'm like, well, like, you know, my health. Like, if you were to ask me, like, hey, Ryan, where do your, pri-? if you were to ask me back then when I was, like, you know, 25, 26 years old, hey, Ryan, where are your priorities? I'd say, oh, it's my health. I mean, you can't have a good, good life unless you're healthy, but, right. you know, I'm out doing drugs and racking up $300 bar tabs and then stopping at McDonald's or in, in Ohio, it's White Castle. Uh, we, we stop at White Castle, you know, two or three o'clock in the morning. Um, and then, you know, I would say, oh, well, then my relationships, those are important too. Well, my mom lived a half hour away and I spent, you know, more time with my bar buddies than I did hanging out with my mother. I saw her maybe six, seven times a year, major holidays, Mother's Day, birthday, stuff like that. Um, it, you know, that big passion project I've been putting off for a while. And what I realized is like my priorities, they're not, they're not what I say they are. It's what I actually do. And I think, you mm-hmm. know, going through that packing party and uh, just helping me change my perspective, like that's where minimalism led me. So now, you know, I don't really focus on um, trying to chase that happiness or trying to chase that comfort. I mean, for me, um, it's, it's about living a meaningful life. And, and that is where my, my short-term actions align with my long-term values and beliefs. And those can, you know, change and, you know, alter for, from time to time. And I'm, and I'm open to that. Um, but, you know, for the longest time, it was, uh, it was just about trying to bring into my life as many pacifiers as I could and have the nicest car, have the nicest house, go on the nicest vacations. Because, you yeah. know, somehow I thought that that was going to bring me fulfillment. And, and what minimalism has really helped me uh, understand is that it's, it, I could have... $10 million in my lap or I could have 10 bucks in, in my lap and like as long as I have good health good relationships around me like none of that really matters so yeah it certainly goes well beyond the stuff yeah I think I think the stuff is sort of the the 
initial bite at the apple. Like, that's what changed it for me. Um, looking at like what had become my my focus and realizing like oh shit like I I have all this stuff I had a you know a huge three bedroom house with three car garage and a full basement and and it was all filled with stuff and then when when my mom died I had to go deal with all of her stuff but I couldn't co-mingle her stuff with my stuff right because I already had that big house full of stuff and so I rented a storage locker which, you know, I came to find out later, it's a $22 billion industry. Yeah. There's Growing quickly. Seven yeah. square feet for every, every human being in the United States. There's 50,000 storage lockers in, in, in the United States and uh, uh, storage facilities in, in the United States. And, um, you know, so we could all stand in our own storage facility, basically. Unbelievable. You know, and, and spread our arms out. Yeah. They're even climate, they're even climate controlled now, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> They'll come and water your plants for you. Yeah. So I, I think it started there uh, w with the stuff for me. But then, right. yeah, once you once you got past, it, I was talking to someone in in Missoula the other day. We live out in Montana now, and uh, he's talking about doing canning, you know, with mason jars and 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 putting. You have to sterilize these jars first before you put the food in them, right? right? And and uh, he was talking about how like, if you take uh, one of the mason jars and you sterilize it, and then you put it on a shelf for three months. You can't then use it to to can whatever you want to can, uh, and for me, minimalism was like a way to sort of sterilize my life in a way to empty that out, and then figure out what to fill it with oh. instead of just putting that empty life back on a shelf. As Ryan said, you, yeah, you can get rid of your stuff and be miserable. Right. But um, it, it was about what do I fill it with now, and right. and what is truly important in my life. And who's that person I want to become? And, and how am I? How am I? Uh, how am I going to define my own success? Yeah. And, and because that route didn't lead to meaning. And 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 I think what Ryan just said a second ago was was poignant. Like the the happiness thing. Um, I would just say happiness isn't isn't the point, right? Happiness is, is sort of the what well, was the problem for me. Well, I was constantly chasing this thing called happiness right, right. and I, I found that like if if I were to instead of do instead of doing that trying to live what is a, a more intentional or more meaningful life happiness ends up being a, a nice byproduct a lot of the time at least yeah happiness is like what we were saying earlier about comfort it's a transitional mm -hmm. phase yeah you know and it requires unhappiness it does yeah. I remember reading years ago Troyum Chungpa was this Tibetan Buddhist um, monk who wrote some books and came to America. He's one of the first Tibetan Buddhists to talk about uh, his discipline or his understanding in America. And I don't know if it was in a lecture or a book or what, but someone was talking to him about nirvana and you know how you reach this exalted state of whatever. Yeah. And he was like, yeah. Oh, he wrote a book called Cutting Through Spiritual Materialism, which I liked. It might have been in that because he was very struck by how Americans tend to turn everything into a product. Yeah. Mm. The, you the, know, the Joel Osteen everything's marketable. Sort yeah, of everything idea. becomes something to market. And, yeah. Yeah. Um, but he, he said, you know, you, you Westerners, you think that this state that you translate as nirvana or bliss or wisdom or whatever, you think it's just like sitting around being happy all the time. Mm. But it's not that at all. What it is, is balance. 
that no matter how good things are in your life, you never forget how much suffering is happening all around mm. you. And no matter how much you're suffering, you never forget how beautiful the world is. Yeah. Wisdom is joyful participation in the sorrows of the world, mm. he said. Mm. And I always, that struck me so much. And I've probably read that 30 years ago. But That's I always thought like, that. That's it. In Americans with all this happiness, you know, all these books, there's this whole happiness literature, you know, yeah. how to be happy, how to find happiness and five steps to happiness. Blah, blah. Yeah. It's like you're you're running backwards. You're, you're getting you're, the harder you work to get there, the less likely it is you'll ever be there. You know, I'm sure our founding fathers meant well when they put the pursuit of happiness in, into the Constitution. The pursuit, yeah. right. not the attainment. Ah, yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, it is the pursuit. You're free Absolutely. to pursue it, yeah. but you know, it's like wisdom. The, the, who is it? Someone famous said, uh, you know, admire those who seek the truth, avoid those who claim to have found it. Yeah. Right? It's yeah. a worthy pursuit. Yeah, Just don't sure. expect to get there, right. you know? And once you, I mean, once you do get there, like I think about uh, being raised a Jehovah's Witness. I just use this as a point of reference because it's how I spent most of my life. But, you know, their whole thing is, is like eventually God's going to come down and he's going to like get rid of all the bad people and like all the good people will be left and there's going to be this amazing, perfect paradise. And for the longest time, like that sounded awesome to me. And, you know, looking back, that journey or that pursuit was definitely better. But, but you know, I look at that, that end point now, and that sounds really boring to me. It's like once you reach that perfection, it's like, well, then what else is there? So, I mean, I guess to your point of, like, getting that happiness, it's uh, every time I would attain happiness in the corporate world, whether it was getting the new car or getting that vacation or getting a bigger home, I would be happy. For like you know five up until that first car payment it was awesome and yeah. up until that first mortgage payment it was great yeah um but but it was it was a very fleeting thing and that's that's kind of like how i look at i guess at its precipice with perfection it's like that it, it would be great for only so long yeah yeah you ever see jerry seinfeld's acceptance speech where he wins this award from like the american advertising <laughs> no. corporation oh it's the best thing ever really? yeah i'll i'll i have to make a note to remember to put it on the web page with along okay. with this episode because okay. it's so fucking funny <laughs> he's you know he's at this convention with all these advertising executives uh -huh. and they've given him some award and he's like ah whatever there's money and you know i guess there's probably a lot of money because yeah. they make a lot and but the the whole speech is about what bullshit their job is <laughs> and how how like you know he's like but i don't hold it against you right it's like i understand that you're lying to me i understand it's what you do is that that the bullshit you say to me has nothing to do with the reality of the product i know my happiness is transitional it's just from the time i see the ad until I buy the thing and see what it really is. But in those few moments, I'm truly happy because, I, you know, I'm thinking of what I'm going to get. And, you know, then I get it and then it's over. But for those moments, it's really good. <laughs> and they're laughing, you know, not realizing, obviously, what's happening to them. Oh, it's, wow. it's, that is great. Yeah. Yeah. It's really good. <laughs> and you also reminded me of the George Carlin thing, A Place for My Stuff. Oh, oh I yeah, love yeah, it. Yeah. 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 My, my stuff is stuff, but your stuff is shit. Like, <laughs> Yeah. Right, right. I love that bit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So uh, obviously, your message is resonating, right? I yeah. mean, your your movie was kind of hilarious. I, <laughs> too good to be true, and the you know your first few 
gigs or like 12 oh, people yeah. show up yeah. or you're like is, if no one comes do we still have to talk <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and then by the end of it you've got you know throngs you know can't wait to get in yeah. and standing room only so like did you have a sense that that was going to happen who who decided to make a movie if you weren't already getting big crowds yeah well it was sort of it, i mean it was it was a slow build i mean it, it and in the documentary, Matt did a great job of, I mean, obviously, we had thousands of hours of footage, and he was able to boil it down. So you can to build an area. Yeah, 79 yeah. minutes. Um, yeah, we started the website um, back in late 2010, and I tell you that we went on our first tour a year after that, and it was very much... No one showing up. Like sometimes, a lot of tour stops, two people. We never got shut out. <laughs> we, we almost did once. We were, we were in Knoxville, Tennessee. We showed. We were just doing these like coffee houses or restaurants. It was just a listening. There we show. We didn't have anything prepared. We didn't have a talk or anything. We just show up and listen to people. Like, and we tell some bit of our stories, and we find out what actually resonates, what doesn't. Like yeah. things I thought were really profound, like some metaphor about channel surfing or something. All of a sudden, it just didn't resonate the same way that Ryan would say packing party, and someone would be like, what? Wait, what did you say? Packing party? What the fuck is that? And like, you, you get to like figure out what resonates. And so we were in uh, Knoxville, and we waited around in that coffee shop for 15, 20 minutes. Yeah. So I'm like, I guess no one's going to show up. We're walking out the door, and some guy's like, hey, I'm here to see you guys. Great, come on in. And yeah. we had a lot of one-on-one -on -one sessions then. And then uh, about a year later, 2012, um, we went on our, our first sort of uh, a little bit larger tour. It was... Um, uh, around the holiday time and uh, some more people would show up and uh, the first time I realized it was going to kind of work at all we were in Toronto and uh, we got to this our event was at this weird co-working space and there was another event going on there that night and uh, the two girls who were helping us had set this up for us they uh, I was looking for them because the other event uh, was in a bigger space downstairs and there was a line out the door to see whoever was going to be there and it turns out that they were all there to see us and and the whatever Toronto Star or whatever the, the paper was had did something that day mm. and it sort of just caught on from that and you realize like this is this is resonating with more than just a few people there right. and it's resonating because there's this sort of underlying discontent right. or anxiety um, that advertisers play towards. Yeah. And people realize That's right. It. And yeah, I, I think that, even more so right. now, more than when we even started, and, and my opinion is, is quickly evolving on social media. And, and um, Sam Harris just did a podcast with uh, Tristan Walker, I think his name is, uh, who used to work for Google. And, and you, you'll hear the argument from... Uh, philosophers and, and psychologists who say, yeah, but human beings have always had to deal with similar problems. You know, mm. the Stoics would tell you to get rid of your books because they were keeping you from living the right. ideal life. Or when TV was introduced in the 60s and all of a sudden that became the big distraction. Mm. We've been faced with distractions for millennia. The difference these days is, and I'd love to hear your, your thoughts on this, the difference is that never before have we paid thousands of engineers to do you know, hundreds of thousands of tests to figure out um, how to increase our cortisol levels just enough that it doesn't change our physiology necessarily, but it does change our, our, our behavior so that we're willing to click or return or have more time on site or fulfill whatever metric they're, they're trying to, to fulfill. And it is, I mean, social media can be a, a wonderful tool. And I look at it right now as a tool 
Uh, the same way a knife could be a tool. You can use it to make a great dinner or you can kill your neighbor with it. And, and I'm wondering whether or not we're doing the same thing with, with social media at this point. I mean, the, the, the most sort of insidious example that I heard him talk about was the um, Snapchat, which, which I don't use, but I'm familiar with what it is. Um, they have engineered it. I mean, they've gamified this whole, this whole thing so that now you, you have um, these streaks. So I can send you a picture and, and if, if I send you something 18 days in a row, then I, now I have an 18 day streak with you. And so it encourages you to continue that streak. And so even if I have nothing to send you on day 19, it's like, well, shit, I already sent Chris something. I need to keep the streak going. And to the point where teens are, if they go on vacation, they don't have access to their phone, they're giving their username and password to their friends so they can keep their streak going. They don't lose that streak. And we're gamifying it in ways that they know it's raising your cortisol levels in a way that, I mean, I think is unhealthy, first off. Uh, it's utterly unnatural, but, but also, I don't want to be, I don't want to go to the other side. I don't want to be a Luddite and say, well, now I'm just going to eschew all technology because uh, it's not useful at all. Yeah. So. I, I mean, I, I agree with you, and I would, I would uh, go further and say it does change our physiology, which is why obesity and diabetes mm. and mm. cancer and a lot of other diseases are so rampant right now, and okay. depression, anxiety, you know. Um, so I, I think that it does change our physiology. And I agree with you that there's a major difference between, you know, when people say, oh, it's always been like this, and they say, you know, just look at the 50s or look at the medieval times. Like, that's not always. Uh -huh. You know, you're talking to someone who thinks in hundreds of thousands of years, right? right? I mean, we have existed as a species for 200,000 years as modern, anatomically modern humans. So if we're going to talk about always, don't talk to me about the fucking you know, 1500s. That's not always. That's yesterday. So if we're looking at the evolution of our species, we're looking at 200,000 years and back where, as you say, there was no, there was nothing designed to distract us other than that which was designed by nature. Yeah, there was nothing designed. Right. There's just evolution, evolutionary design, which right. is a problematic term because right. it implies some god or something. Yeah. But um, you know, uh, you could say, well, uh, female breasts are designed to attract male attention. Right. And I would argue that that's probably true. Right. Um, but that's something that we evolved in concert with. Mm. And so when you get something like sexy women selling cars, that's different, uh -huh. right? That, especially when they're on a TV, you'll never meet them. There's no mating, uh, anything happening there, you know? And uh, so we're surrounded by things, as you say, that are very finely tuned to hurt us. Mm. They're not tuned. There's no sort of co-evolutionary logic to it the way there is. You know, you might say, well, a leopard is designed in a sense to hurt you. But, but we've always been there with leopards. So, there, you know, there's this sort of dance going on with the leopard, whereas the stuff that's advertising... It's fucking evil, it is. evil shit. You know, it's funny, like pre-industrial revolution, advertising to a large extent fulfilled a need. It was like, oh wow, here's this product that you know we can put out in the rural area and it could really help a farmer be more effective with harvesting or uh, you know, the farmer's wife um, 
uh, and I'm not trying to like gender stereotype here, but you know how it was back in the <laughs> sure. 1900s. Back in the <laughs> day, back in the, when yeah, men the, were men. But yeah, and, 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 it's and, always and, been that and way. Now, <laughs> and now, like that is flipped, where advertisers, like with Snapchat, yeah. with that example, they are creating that need. Yeah. And, and you know, so yeah. advertising, I think, has become that evil entity. I don't want to say all advertising is bad, but I will say like 99.9% of it is inherently evil because they are not trying yeah. to help you. They're trying to help themselves or the corporate, yeah. Right, and and the way to sell stuff, as you say, is to create a need for it because all our organic needs have long since been met. Yeah. So now it's all about, you know, we... I mean, it literally happens this way. We've got this drug. There must be some disease that this... Oh, there's no disease? Well, let's make it up. Yeah. You know, yeah. halitosis. Yeah. Bad breath. Like, well, then when did that become a disease? Brush your fucking teeth. Right? It's like, it's like no there's so many, you know, a, a, uh, ADHD, right? Yeah. Oh, kids won't sit still for nine hours listening to old people drone oh. on about boring shit? Give them pills. Must they, yeah. something there must, there's something wrong with them. Yeah. yeah. You know, whatever. Cesarean delivery of babies. Oh, well, you got it. That's, you know, skyrocketed. In America, how come women all over the world don't have whatever problem it is that is being addressed by this? Right. Because yeah. there is no problem. And certain, doctors want to go golfing. Yeah. I was going to mm. say, at a certain extent, you're right. Like, I mean, through evolution, we'll change the physiology. I mean, if everyone was getting C-sections, like, that is going to, I mean... Well, it's affecting the babies. Yeah. Because the babies are born... And, yeah, yeah, exactly. The, the microbiome. Yeah. They're not getting the... The vaginal secretions on their face that goes into their nose and their mouth, so they've got a digestive thing going on. It's just a we're we're, we're yeah. every time we think we're outsmarting nature, we just dig a hole deeper and yeah. deeper. Yeah, so true. speaking of digging holes, now we let's let's address the the irony of all this, right? Because yes. you guys now you have this like minimalist empire, <laughs> yes. right? I know people are listening and they're like, wait, I got you know I got to pay money to see the movie, I got to pay money to go here, you guys. Where's all this money going, yeah. minimalist guys? Well, first off, let me say... They Are you living in a cave in Missoula? Have, they don't have to pay money to see the movie. They, it's on Netflix. Is it... Yeah. Uh, well, and, you, you got to pay money to get on Netflix, don't you? Yeah, I guess you got to pay Netflix. But, uh, but you know, it's funny. You think that... Um, oh, I had like a... I have like a little mentoring business on the side. And then a mentoring client. She was like, so what are you doing with all those millions of dollars from Netflix? She's like, I know that, you know, millions of people have seen your movie and certainly they pay you know, per view. And I'm like, it doesn't work that way. Yeah. Like Netflix gave us, uh, I don't know if you're comfortable like talking about numbers or, or not, but, but they gave us a very little amount. And then that very little amount we had to split between, you know, five other people because there's Matt DiVello, there's right. uh, Media who helped us with a lot of the stuff in the movie as well, uh, design and stuff. So, you know, we're not at this point where we're millionaires. I mean, we are, um, you know, I, I've, got, uh, I've got like 140 grand sitting in my Betterment account right now. Uh, between retirement, between you know a safety net, and between um, like a house fund that I'm that I'm trying to that I'm trying to save up for, because I'm sure one day I will build a house. Hmm. Um, but at the end of the day, no, we certainly do have the ability to give more. I mean, that's why we will do things like uh, b- build schools. We we uh, build orphanages. Hmm. Um, you know, we will certainly. If my mom calls me and she's like, "Hey, uh, I need a I'm a thousand bucks short this month," and I could be like, "Okay, like I can you know I have the ability to help her out like that," yeah. or my brothers or, or sisters or whatever. So, you know, at the end of the day, um, yeah, we're not sitting on, like, big stacks stacks of money. Now, we're not allergic to money either. Like, that's, right. that's, not, the, that's not the whole point of this, right. man. Like, we're not, right. we're not telling people to, um, uh, you know, become... Give us as, your money. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> Get rid of all your stuff and send it to us. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, that's the danger, right? Yeah. That Because that, you're, 
in a sense, you're preaching. You know, yeah. what, what you're preaching is a message that I, I find valuable yeah. and important, and I think a lot of people do. But anytime you're preaching, there's going to be the questions about, you know. A friend of mine said, he never, I never trust, what, how do you phrase it? He said, I never trust a spiritual person in the material realm. Mm. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. like they're getting their you know, I mean, I, I stopped taking advertising on my podcast because I started to feel uncomfortable where I'm a lot of what I'm talking about is stuff you guys yeah. talk about, you know, stop buying shit and don't get in debt and don't fall <laughs> yeah. for this the American dream. This stop buying dream. shit message is brought to you. Yeah, by. exactly. But yeah. this underwear, <laughs> You're gonna only twenty nine ninety nine. Yeah. No, yeah. We, don't, we don't do advertisements on our podcast either. I mean, anything yeah. we do now, I mean, we try to do it. Uh, we don't even try. Like we, we do it in a very genuine, uh, very genuine way. Well, I and think it's important f- to be transparent. I wish we could still do um, free events. Right. I mean, if if we if we put on our if we did it how we used to do it, how we used to do it is we would say, oh hey, um, we're gonna show up here. There's a limited number of seats. Um, whoever shows up first gets in, and if and if you don't uh, get a seat, sorry, but it's a free event. Well, in Indianapolis. Um, this was back in 2014 when we were when Matt was with us and filming. He didn't film this specific event, but it was during that year when we were uh, uh, filming the documentary. We had a room of like, you know, it fit like 75 people in this bookstore. 500 people showed up. Yeah. And so it was like 425 people who had a really really shitty experience. Yeah. Um, now luckily, like that specific uh, event, um, the bookstore owner was like friends with someone across the street who had a theater who she called up and like came. I mean, it was like this whole big to do. But still, really bad experience. Yeah. So, I mean, now we're at a point where, yeah, like we went to the Wilbur Theater that seats 1,200 people in Boston. And it, it's expensive. To, I don't know if you've ever looked into renting the Wilbur Theater, but it's not cheap. Not recently. <laughs> so, un- unfortunately, it's like there is this balance where, yeah. um, you know, we, we have to still make it accessible. Um, but also provide like you know a, a good experience and not leave people with a bad taste in their mouths. Yeah, yeah. I think finding that balance is, is really important too with that because, so I mean the Wilbur is a good example. So we did that event and uh, an event like that you know, can can net some pretty good money. It, but we have a whole team with us. We have Matt out there filming it and we bring podcast Sean. We record it. And then we took we took the, uh, the the profits from that, and we're helping uh, build an orphanage on the U.S. Mexico border. So it, we we try to, like I said earlier, when I grew up poor, I thought we didn't have uh, we didn't have a lot of money. That's why we were discontented. I made bad decisions, really, why we were discontented. It's just about now that we have access to, I mean, it's not like my corporate days. In the corporate days, I was making a couple hundred thousand dollars a year in Dayton, Ohio, and and while that was seemingly nice like I didn't do the right stuff with it right and so I'm not completely benevolent either and completely selfless Um, but I I operate in my own self-interest a lot of the time but I also believe in contribution and finding ways to contribute to other people in some way whether it's with the message and and I know that's helped a lot of people but also building wells and building orphanages and schools and things like that having having a better purpose with that money you know it's no longer money's no longer the primary driver for doing what we do um but we all have to pay the bills as well it's it's kind of like what we were saying about the aesthetics earlier and, and you know versus a uh, i'm still not thinking of the word it's not bohemian it's it's a philosophy based on sensual pleasure just hedonism hedonism that's yeah. the word yeah yeah so it, how it, it's almost you know, it's like a masochist gets pleasure from pain, right? right. And, and so, 
in a way, uh, one of the great insights that, that I think is finally coming to public knowledge is that the best way to feel good is to help someone else. Amen. Giving is living is the Amen. old apathon. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, if you're depressed, you're, you're feeling like your life sucks, go to a fucking food kitchen or, you know, or a homeless shelter or an animal shelter or whatever. Help somebody. You will feel better. So whether that's selfless or selfish, I don't think we can really determine. <laughs> well, I, I think probably it, a little bit of both, I, I think guess. it's somewhere in between. I think, I think there's this, this yeah. term self-interest. And, and, yeah. and to me, like selfish is 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 operating your own interest at the detriment of others. Right. Whereas self-interest is is yeah, you are interested in in your own own self. And and so yeah, I mean, it's like I said, it's not completely altruistic if we if we do if we build a school in in uh, Kenya or something. I mean. It makes me feel good, right? And that's okay to that's, feel good. That's great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, that, we're designed that way. Getting mm-hmm. back to design, you know, we're designed to feel good helping other people. So what the fuck? Why don't we do it? Yeah. You know. Yeah. Well, I guess it depends on the ways you're choosing to feel good, right? Yeah. I mean, uh, everything we do, I would argue, is to feel good. I'm, we're on your podcast right now because we love you, man. Like the, <laughs> we, we we really find it <laughs> an honor you. to be on here, Thank man. You. And and to be interviewed by you. Um, and I'm assuming you wanted us on here as well because you, you thought you would get some value out of it. And I think, uh, you know, if, if it was, uh, you know, if, if there was a, uh, some kind of way someone was trying to get happiness, which was undermining everyone else around them, I think that's where you start to get into those dangerous waters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. And it's funny how, you know, back to advertising, advertising is constantly pushing us to to try to find that pleasure in consumption, mm-hmm. which is isolation, because they want you to have your own bowling alley, your own right, everything, yeah. your own this. So it's p- trying to pull us away from each other, which mm-hmm. is ultimately where the real pleasure lies. And yeah. then there's this weird dichotomy too, because it's almost inevitable we're also shifting from this culture of ownership to that culture of access, where, whereas before I used to have to own personally uh, you know, 2,000 CDs to have the same library that's, that's in my pocket point. right that's now. That's a good point. Technology's moving in the other direction in a way, yeah. at least in terms of music and media. And, and, and so I think, I think yeah. hey, consumerism, is, uh, so I don't think consumption's the problem, right? We all need to consume some stuff. The compulsory consumption, yeah. this, this consumerism where, where, where corporations or, or faceless entities get to identify and create our they get to name what our values are for us as opposed to us choosing what our values are and then going out and seeking those right tools to to get to those values yeah uh, often it's the other way around because you saw the girl in the bikini trying to sell you the acura or yeah. whatever and all yeah. of a sudden now you want to buy an acura yeah mm-hmm. there's a, a section in this this book i've been working on for the past 700 years uh <laughs> called uh it's a i i've trying to uh, coin a new term, the RAS, it's a new disease, rich asshole syndrome. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and, Entitlements, uh, man. That's, yeah. like, that's like extra affluenza or... <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, it, so the, I, but the idea, my angle on it, uh, which I haven't read elsewhere, is it's not just that assholes get rich mm. because they're willing to do the nasty shit that it takes to you know be rich. It's that being rich kind of makes you forces you to be a bit of an asshole because it's very difficult to have more than the people around you. Mm -hmm. It hurts. Uh. And so you form these defense mechanisms, psychological defense mechanisms. So it's been demonstrated, for example, that rich people are significantly 
worse at reading uh, facial expressions of other people than poor people are. Oh, right, because wow. they're more in touch with each other. Yeah. And, the, and in the book, the way I explain it, so it doesn't come across as me just, you know, shaking my finger at people, is the first time I went to India, and I was sitting in the restaurant, and these little kids are standing outside the window staring at my food, and I'm, like, annoyed wow. by it. And then the guy came and shooed them away, and then they went across the street, and they're still staring, oh. you know. And then, it, it, you know, so how do you deal with that? Yeah. You know, like, yeah. I've got enough money to buy this restaurant my ticket you know the value of the ticket uh, to get to india could have gotten their families out of debt for life probably but of course i don't so why don't i if i could and so suddenly i'm like super wealthy so that's sort of the the peter singer thing right where it's like for every fifty dollars you spend on a meal that you know you're effectively letting a child drown kind of thing and, <laughs> and, singer. and bless his heart and, and, <laughs> and i mean that's dark man because yeah. It, yeah. at some point you almost feel um like you'll you, i think you'll you'll slip into apathy if you're not doing anything for yourself whatsoever and, yeah. and constantly just giving 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 yeah you, you'll get to this because if there were a hundred thousand children around you drowning what are you going to do then yeah and it, there are yeah right that's the right thing. And, and so yes of course if you walk by and there's one kid drowning you're a monster yeah. if you do nothing. Yeah. But if you walk somewhere, you have to salt and sea, and you, all of a sudden you see 100,000, you, you're going to try to save some, but at some point, you're going to need some help as well. Yeah. And, and I think you know, part of that's where community comes in or, or um, where intentionality comes in. But also we have to, in a weird way, we have to develop the, the mental musculature to be okay with, with okay with being a hypocrite and sometimes. Mm-hmm. I mean... Yeah, Ryan and I, we, we've, we've written three books about minimalism. And, and it's like, well, wait it's a minute. too, too right? many. Right, right. <laughs> and, and it's not like we just slapped three different covers on, on, on the same book. Uh-huh. And, and people are constantly asking, when are you going to write a fourth one? I was like, well, I'm, that, I, I, can't, I don't have that in me right now. I, I don't want to just reappropriate all the same stuff. You know, It's like if you were to take Sex at Dawn and, and call it, you know, uh, the dawn of sex, and and it's the the new you know tenth anniversary edition or whatever, and and call it something completely different and try to sell it as well. You also need the second book now. Yeah, yeah. You're not going to feel good about that, but you also feel good about being being able to create something and and having someone get value from that thing. It doesn't mean it's necessarily for everyone. Yeah. Um, but but um, we we feel good about the ways that we can, can, can that we can contribute and you mentioned you know whether it's a uh, writing a check or, or or doing a soup kitchen or whatever I can tell you that when I first walked away from the corporate world in 2011 uh, I went from making a couple hundred grand to making twenty three thousand dollars a year and I was strangely a more more financially secure because I had paid off the vast majority of my debt by that point um, and, and really, the reason I was more financially secure is I was making much better decisions with the limited resources I had. It forces you to pay attention to what you're doing. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. 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 In, in 2011, um, yeah, I was, I, was like a tw- I was looking at my Social Security statement the other day or, so, you know, or the other month when I got it, and it, I was right around you know, 24, 25,000 bucks. I traveled more in 2011, or I'm sorry, 2012, than I did like the, the whole you know, 30 years leading up to that moment combined. Right. Right. And it was, it was because of the, yeah, I mean, I was sleeping on floors yeah. and like we were sleeping in the car and, uh, you know, it, we were, we were roughing it, but, um, I had, 
I lived more that year than I had, you know, my entire life. Yeah. And, and that's really, I think, um, what this, what we're trying to really put out there Yeah. is that you can be rich or you can be poor um, and you can be miserable or you can be happy either way. It really depends on what, what you're focusing on and what your, what your intentions are and, and what your priorities are and acting on those priorities. You'd be amazed, man. Like the people who come out to our events, we will literally get, so in 2000, um, in 2012, that was our first tour, right? Josh, Josh has the much better memory than I do. 2000, yeah, 2011, <laughs> that, that first tour, um, we had like Occupy Wall Street folks show up. Hmm. And CEOs of major, major corporations, corporations showing up at the same event. And they're asking the same questions. Like, yeah. how, how can I live a more meaningful life? And they certainly have different problems. There's no doubt about that. But, but ultimately, you know, this is something that um, I feel like kind of crosses all, all boundaries. Like, you know, rich or poor, spiritual, non-spiritual, you know, atheist or believer, whatever it may be. Um, it, there's a, there's a very common thing that people are connecting with. I, you know, that's why I, I, I'm kind of excited about that rich asshole syndrome because mm. I, I really want the point to be that rich people aren't the problem, mm. right? That's, yeah. that's the thing that it's a, again, one of these divide and conquer things. It's not right. the 1% who's ripping off the rest of us. They're as fucking miserable as anyone else. Yeah. So what we need to do, all of us, the CEO and the Occupy people, is step back and say, what kind of fucking game is this that we're engaged in where the winners are as miserable as the losers? Yeah. That's, that's really where I was when I decided to walk away from the corporate world. I had this whole plan. Like, I was, at age 27, I was the youngest director of my company's 140-year history. And, and... This is I, waste management? And, no, it was tele, telecom. Telecom. Yeah, telecom. <laughs> and... Uh, um, yeah, and so like, but the, and I was going to be a, a, a vice president by age 32, senior vice president by age 35, C-level executive by age 40. Oh, man. And the closer I got to these guys that I aspired to be like, I realized they were fucking miserable. Yeah. And, and you get, you don't really see that from afar, but as you get closer, you see like, oh, he is on his third marriage and it's falling apart. He is on his second heart attack. Right. And uh, I had a coworker who was 30 who had his first heart attack, and I was—he was two years, three years older than me. And I'm like, wait a minute. Like, yeah, something's wrong. Yeah, and yeah. I weighed 80 pounds more than I weigh now, and so like I was, I was unhealthy myself and just right. working like crazy and realizing, wait a minute, like if I work my ass off for the next 20 years, I could be just as miserable as these guys <laughs> <laughs> if I'm lucky. Yeah. 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 So what? What about this team, like? You guys keep each other real. Is there conflict? There's got to be conflict. There's oh yeah. But I mean, uh, you're you're like you know. I don't. It's funny when Matt was on tour with us. I think um, I was like biting my nails or something, uh, <laughs> and, and, and it just like really annoys the hell out of Josh. And uh, you know, like he's like snapping at me or something about, about my nails, and I'm snapping back or something. And then like um, Matt, all of a sudden, he's like, I don't know how you guys are able to do this with <sighs> one another. And I was thinking about it, and I was like, you know, I don't know either, because I'm sure we have more, you know, moments like that. But then I started thinking, I'm like, you know, I don't really hold account of the times that Josh pisses me off. Yeah. And I'm sure that, you know, he doesn't hold account of the times I piss him off. Like, never, uh, we've been, you know, best friends since we were, like, fat little fifth graders. And I can't, I mean, if I would really have to dig deep to be like, oh, yeah, this is when Josh pissed me off, this is when Josh pissed me off. But we've never argued and been like, remember that one time when you did this? So I think, like, that has a lot to do with it, is, like, not holding 
uh, not holding it account. And in fact, that's how I, I like approach my romantic relationship now too. It's like I, I don't, uh, I, I try not to. I don't know if I'm perfect with that or not. But like I really, I really try hard to like not sit there and be like, oh, like you know, uh, you know, Mariah might say, uh, you know, you you did X, Y, and Z. I'd appreciate it if you would you know, try and, uh, try to do that differently. And then like, I, I try not to be like, Oh, well, you remember like three weeks ago yeah. when, uh, <laughs> it's uh, always a bad move. Right. right yeah. Always a bad move. So I think that has a lot to do yeah. with it. But I think the other thing too, is our personalities are almost exact opposite. Like if you put us on, so a, who's John and who's Paul in this relationship? <laughs> it's more like that? Simon and Garfunkel. <laughs> oh, really? and, it, and I think I'm Garfunkel. Well, you got Josh the hair. <laughs> but, but no, I, if you, if you put, if you put our, um, personalities on a Myers-Briggs, um, I am an ENFP. Josh is an INTJ. Okay. I don't know what any of that means. So basically it just what, means I'm, a, I'm really introverted. He's extremely extroverted. Uh, He's very in the moment, like right now. Uh, and I am very, like got to plan this calculated, out way in yeah. advance. And, but I think that's what keeps us honest. Like I look up to Josh as a mentor hmm. and I think in ways Josh looks up to me as a mentor. Oh, definitely. I yeah. mean, we're mentors to, toward each other. That's there is great. this like yeah. symbiotic relationship really that cool. does keep us honest. So and, you see things from perspectives that are different enough yeah. utterly different and all the time you need each other to, to see the whole picture yeah, yeah i think so i yeah. mean it's all it's i mean great. we are constantly asking each other for advice and it's not because um well i, I should just say the reason being is that we know that we're not going to lie to one another we're not going to like feed each other a line right we're going to give some brutal honesty and, and we can give brutal honesty right without without being it. without being offended right and um i think keeping that that uh that brutal honesty constant which we've always done since again we were, we were fat little fifth graders i think that is what has kept us uh kept us a, a, as a team like this now you've you've both described your sort of moments of crisis and pivotal change your packing trip and your thing at work and your mom and, and all yeah. this stuff and they, it seems like they happened at the same time roughly well kind of sort of yeah kinda. i mean he so his his mom passed away and his marriage ended both in the same month. I don't I don't can't remember what year that was. Two thousand nine. I remember months after that happening. Um, I just saw these gradual changes with Josh. The first thing I noticed is when he so he got divorced, he had to move out. He moved, moves into this new place, and I remember like helping him bring in some stuff. And the first thing I noticed when I uh, went into his new apartment was this uh, bracket. Uh, this mount on the wall for a TV. And for some reason, like in the corporate world, this was, this was like one of the markers. Like how many TVs do you have? And how big can you it be? You remember one of the managers, how, he had like a TV, he like, cause. Yeah, Chad. Yeah. He had, one, he had eight TVs in his house. Yeah. He had and, one in his bathroom just to, to show off. Right, right? just for, and yeah. I, I just remember seeing that in, in, uh, and Josh and I are always comparing, uh, you know, TVs. And, <laughs> and Freud I, I like, would have a lot to say about this. <laughs> I was going to make a joke yeah. and then I went away from it. But now Who's since you bring bigger, it up. Yeah. Yeah, right. right, exactly. <laughs> no, um, I look at this wall mount and the first thing I asked him was like, oh, dude, what kind of TV are you going to get, man? And he's like, I don't know if I'm going to get a TV. I'm like, what? You're not going to get a TV? Like, that doesn't make any sense. He's like, yeah, maybe I will. Maybe I haven't really thought about it. A couple months passed, didn't get a TV. And I'm like, so you're going to get a TV? He's like... Nah, I was thinking about it, I probably not. And there's this like ugly mountain. It looked beautiful with a TV on it, right? And that was like probably the first thing I noticed. The other thing I noticed, uh, he was. He's all mount, no TV. Yeah, all mount, no TV. <laughs> <laughs> he, the other thing I noticed, uh, he started acting differently towards 
our boss. So in the corporate culture we were in. Oh, you worked in the same place? Oh, yeah, yeah man. Oh, I didn't Climbing know that. the corporate ladder together. But man. you worked like, for your dad, so that was a different time you were I worked for, for my dad for about two years after high school. Oh, uh, okay. Um, and then I got the, I got married right, I was really smart, got married at age 18. Great divorce. Yeah, <laughs> divorced by like 22. And, Babies? Uh, no, no kids. Oh. Uh, right. Not that I know of. But uh, any, any um, yeah, uh, well, Josh eventually came to me and he was like, dude, He's like, what are you doing? Like, uh, I was, at the time, I was working at a daycare, man. Like, I, I did, I knew I didn't want to take over my dad's family business, so I went to go work summer camp at this daycare, which was awesome, man. I was working with all kids mm. and all girls, and then like six months later, I'm like working with all kids, working with all girls. <laughs> so Josh's like, what are you? Josh's like, what are you doing, man? Like, come and come and sell cell phones. So anyway, um, you know, fast forward, like we, we were in this culture where you, you know, you got up uh, 6 a.m. and the first thing you do is you check your, your BlackBerry and you're answering emails and then you take a shower, you get ready, you're on your way to work. And if you were me, uh, you're checking your BlackBerry on the road, which is, you know, super dangerous. But and you're and you're you're stuck on that thing until 10 o'clock at night. Yeah. And it was sacrilegious to not respond to emails, texts, especially phone calls. You get a phone call like you knew you like that was important. And I remember um, Josh was telling me, he's like, dude, I'm at the, he's like, I'm at dinner the other day. And it was uh, with his like girlfriend at the time. He's like, you know, we're sitting there, we're eating dinner. Um, it, it's, it's Christmas Eve. And our, our boss uh, was calling me and I ignored it like two or three times. And he just kept calling and calling and calling. It was like six o'clock at night. And Christmas Eve wasn't the biggest sales day of the year. I mean, Black Friday is obviously the biggest sales day. But Christmas Eve, I think it was like second or third Pretty biggest big. sales day yeah. of, of, of the whole year. So Josh finally, like, excuses himself from the table. He answers the phone. He's like, what, what can I help you with? And he's like, well, what's going on with you? Why aren't you answering your phone? Oh, well, uh, I'm at dinner right now. What, what can I help you with? He was like, I need to know where your stores are at. Like, basically, where are your sales numbers right now? I need a live update. Stores are going to close in two hours. And every single day, we had end-of-the-day reports go out. So that he couldn't wait two hours for a sales report. Like, you know, his boss must have been bugging him for it. And he was like, I, I need to know your sales numbers. And, and Josh was like, I just told him, I don't have those numbers for you. What, what do you mean you don't have those numbers? And Josh said, that's an unreasonable expectation. <laughs> it, it, is, it is six o'clock. Which is how you say fuck off yeah. on corporate speak. Yeah, it is, it is six o'clock at night on Christmas Eve. I'm out to dinner with, with, with my girlfriend yeah. and you want to know my sales numbers. And like when he told me that story, I'm like, what the hell is going on with you, man? <laughs> and and there was just like these little you changes in your mind that he was yeah that he was making or finding it or yeah right <laughs> that he made over several several months you know seven eight nine months to the point where I thought maybe he had gone on some type of really good like antidepressant mm -hmm. and I just remember I sat him down um, uh, I, I invited him out to a really nice lunch I, I took him across the street to Subway. And uh, try to talk some sense into him. Yeah, yeah. Well, actually, I wanted to know what what I I, I want to know what drugs he was on. And I I sat around like, dude, what the hell is going on with you, man? Like, why the hell are you so happy? Did did the doctor put you on some kind of you know a miracle drug? Because I want some of that. And he was like, no, man. He's like, I'm just really I'm I'm uh, refocusing my life, and I've been simplifying, and I've mm. I've been really trying to focus on life's most important things. And that's when he told me about minimalism. Had you already decided to drop out at that point? Uh, I, yes and no. I mean, I, I decided that my life was going in a different direction. I, I, I don't think at that point I knew whether or not 
I could live meaningfully doing what I was still doing. Ultimately, mm. I couldn't. It just didn't align with my You're values. You're trying to put them both together. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. I was trying to figure. I mean, I, I knew I was simplifying my personal life and just sort of started with the stuff and, and and dealing with that. But as I as I went farther and farther down, I, I really started uncovering what my values were. Right. And, and not just giving lip service to them, but but actually you know turning them into priority and and there just was no room for them if you were working 80 hours a week. We, yeah. we work 362 days a year in retail. Yeah, we had Easter and off, Thanksgiving, and Christmas, and Christmas. yeah, that was it. That was, that. That was do crazy. You, do you think, and I, I don't mean to, I hope this doesn't come across the wrong way, but the way I'm, I'm hearing your story, it's your mother's death triggered all these beautiful things in your yeah. life. Yeah, I mean, I, I, would it have happened otherwise? It's impossible for me to know. It's likely it would have, but it would have taken another decade or something. Um, and I could still be there right now, and and who knows what would happen then. And and it's a beautiful tribute to her if that's the way this is playing out. You know. I mean, really, if I have one one regret is that I didn't spend more time with her when she 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 moved down to to from Ohio to Florida, like to finally retire on Social Security. And um, and she, uh, like three months after she did, she found out she had stage four terminal lung cancer. And so later that year, it was 2009, she was, she was gone. I spent seven weeks with her that year down in Florida. And it's like, I'd go down for a week at a time, which that was also sacrilegious. I had, I, I was getting in trouble for leaving work as a, uh, and anyway, I got to this point where I'm, I'm like, I'm spending seven weeks down here. But then I look back now, and I was like, man, I wish I, I wish I'd have done more. Like, you don't get that time back, right? Yeah. yeah. But I, you know, I was so fucking busy, man. But you all, I mean, everyone wishes that, right? There's yeah. no way not to wish that. Yeah. But it's so cool that you pivoted your yeah. life in such a positive way at that moment. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, in. In a strange way, and grateful. And you dragged him along with you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Thankfully, and a lot of other people. I mean, yeah, I, 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 and I know you, you don't mean literally, but like, I, often we'll get people who come to the events, and they're they're like, um, "Hey, how do I force my husband husband to become a minimalist?" And sometimes they'll say it more tactfully than that. Sometimes they'll just say that, um, and you can tell they're joking a little bit, but not really. And for me, it's like I never leapt up and said, look at me, I'm becoming a minimalist, and you should too, because mm. you've got a lot of shit. Mm. Um, the, the truth is that like, if people start to see that, you know, when you said, why the hell are you so happy? It was like, oh, well, let me open this door and tell you about what I've been doing. Right. And I didn't even use the term minimalism up front, just because sometimes that, that can be too, it seems like it's so radical. Mm. But to me, at the time when I when I had finally gone down a path, it just seemed more practical to me. I mean, and you know this. You talk about living as a minimalist your whole life. It's a much more practical lifestyle than accumulating a bunch of shit you don't want or need to impress yeah. people you don't like. Yeah. And it's super hunter gatherer. Yeah. yeah, hunter gatherers are the original minimalists, yeah. right? Yeah. I mean, it's like if I I got to walk 15 kilometers a day, how much shit am I going to carry? Right. Right? We all need a, a couple of clay pots. Are we all going to have our own clay pots? Fuck no, we'll share them. Right. Yeah. It's all about, you know, find what you need when you get there, yeah. carry as little as possible, and uh, share what you need. It's, it's, it's the way we're made to live, you know? Yeah. And I think in so many things now, we're look, you're finding 
you know, medicine, they're looking back. They're, they're studying hunter-gatherers. How, how's their exercise patterns? What, what's their microbiome? There are people in the Amazon right now collecting hunter-gatherer shit samples so they can study the microbiome. Yeah. You know? Wow. So every, you know, the paleo diet, the, you know, everything we're looking at, how do they sleep? Maybe it's just me. Maybe this is just my bias. But it kind of feels like we're at this moment where this path is played out. Yeah. This this whole like consume as much as you can, destroy the planet. It's definitely have as many changing, babies yeah. as possible. It's just like no, this isn't working. Right. Everyone looks around and says, yeah, no, it's not working. Uh, and so when we look for an answer, we look back, uh, right? Of course yeah. we do. Where did we come from? Yeah. yeah, makes sense. Definitely, dudes. My bald spot is getting baked right now <laughs> we were sitting in the shade when we started and now the sun has moved uh, thank you so much for doing thanks this thanks for having us thanks man. for having us yeah. it's been an absolute Appreciate pleasure it. high five give me a hug afterward right, yeah. yeah high five man thank you thank you and we had a live audience too it's the first time we have a live can we get some applause or something <laughs> oh yeah yeah thank you thank you you still here? I guess you enjoyed that conversation. Well, so did I. Thank you for hanging out. Uh, if you'd like to support the podcast and are financially able, go to patreon.com and search for Tangentially Speaking. You enter your credit card, tell them you want to give me a buck, five bucks, 20 bucks, 30 bucks, 50 bucks, 200 bucks, and then they'll just automatically ding your credit card and you don't have to think about it again. You can also buy stuff through Amazon.com. Just go to ChrisRyanPhD.com or TangentiallySpeaking.com, same place, different route, and you'll see an Amazon ad on the right uh, banner. Click on that, bookmark the landing site, use that for Amazon, and anywhere between 4 and 8% of what you spend will come to support the podcast at no extra expense to you or your loved ones. Uh, if you don't have uh, the money to do that, that's fine. Don't worry about it. Tell your friends about the podcast, write a review on iTunes, or just enjoy the podcast. It doesn't matter. I want to thank Basin and Range for that intro music. The song's called Bright Side of the Sun, and you can check them out at Basin and Range band.com if you want to talk about the podcast you can go to reddit where there are a few thousand people chatting about the podcast uh, i drop in and answer questions post photos uh whatever pretty cool community there and uh if you want to get some t-shirts we have the civilized to death shirts sex at dawn shirts tangentially speaking shirts they're all in my mom's garage she will get them out to you in a jiffy julie my mom is one of the most efficient people you will ever meet so you can find those on my website that chris ryan chris ryan phd.com tangentially speaking.com whatever you'll find them just look in the store there if you want to buy some other t-shirts from the same manufacturer that sure design t-shirts they are fantastic i know i say this is an ad free podcast uh and this could be construed as an ad but sure design t-shirts have been supporting this podcast since its inception bennett who was the dude there decided he was going to support the podcast he sent me a bunch of shirts uh at an extreme discount to uh, help us out and we've been working with them ever since since bennett died the people who took over sure design t-shirts.com uh have decided to continue giving us the same deal that Bennett gave us. So that's pretty cool. 
and as a way to thank them, make sure you use the discount code Chris when you order anything from them so that they know that they're getting some business coming from this podcast. That's SureDesignTshirts.com. They've got all sorts of stuff, yoga pants and jewelry and beautiful stuff, all made from this really nice soft cotton. The discount code is Chris. Use the discount code Chris, C-H-R-I-S, and you'll get 10% off. Thank you to Carsey Blanton for the song you're about to hear. You can check her out at carcyblanton.com she performed this little ditty especially for us sounds like she was sitting in her garage you can hear the birds chirping the song is called smoke alarm and it's a reminder to live now because you're gonna die one day this is for you guys bennett and justin miss you he said baby what's a big deal feel what you want to feel Say what you wanna say You're gonna die one day For example, I could kiss you Just because I want to What's the difference if you turn away? I'm gonna die one day Why do you waste your time Thinking about your reputation Trying to meet an expectation Wondering what they're gonna say When everyone you've ever known Is headed for a headstone I don't wanna give the end away But we're gonna die one day Your body is an animal Doesn't ask for much A little music and a soft touch Why don't you let it out to play? Your heart is in a birdcage Singing in your chest You wanna shut it up but give it a rest You're gonna die one day Why do we waste our time Thinking about a reputation Running from a confrontation Wondering what we ought to say to the ground.